0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Flagship Podcast, where... Texas Longhorns fans and insiders come to eat. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined as always by our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns 24-7, Taylor Estes. Taylor, what's going on?
1: Hey, Chip, how are you doing? I know that you just came back from dropping your... Oldest son off at college. So, not to age you or anything, but how was that? I'm curious. That's why we I didn't mean, have a Monday episode of the flagship in case everyone knows. But
0: it is exciting times. I remember those days well. It's unbelievable now to uh, have a son who is about to embark on hopefully the best four years of his life. I can tell you that uh, he's at Colorado State University. That place is beautiful. Everybody seems happy, so I think he's in the right place. I just told him, remember, work hard, then play hard. Work hard, (laughs) then play hard.
1: Key word then there, definitely. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Sequence, Mm -hmm. work hard, then play hard. So, um, but thanks for asking. Yes, I'm back. I'm ready for action. I've been talking to... My source is about everything going on, Taylor, and um, we'll start with that first scrimmage last Saturday and kind of how the wheels came off for the offense. The defense got the uh, gold star, the A-plus, and the offense. It probably could not have started much worse. Casey Thompson, from what I'm told, through two interceptions on the first two drives that he had and on the first one, he had Cade Brewer open underneath. He went for a bit of a home run and got picked off by Keaton Crawford. And then on the next drive, he didn't see Luke Brockermeyer uh, in zone coverage and was picked off by Luke Brockermeyer, who, by the way, has racked up interceptions dating back to the spring. like. Uh, and a freak. I mean, it's crazy how many interceptions this kid has had uh, in practices, and that's why he's a leading candidate, if not the leading candidate, to start at middle linebacker for the Longhorns. But Taylor, um, obviously, the uh, you know the fallout from that scrimmage was a come to Jesus uh, talking to from. Steve Sarkisian, I'm I'm told this season can be a long one if if our focus isn't um, exactly where it needs to be. He was, and then he said on Tuesday, Sarkisian, that he was disappointed that uh, progress both Casey Thompson and Hudson Card had been showing in practices didn't translate to the scrimmage. Now I'm told the defense kind of unleashed some some new pressures some new games up front and and it was kind of done to put these quarterbacks make them uncomfortable put them in difficult situations see how they respond be able to coach them hard this this week going into scrimmage number two but since the scrimmage taylor hudson card has been taking uh, most of the first team reps casey thompson working with Uh, The second team and and that's after Casey worked with the first team the first week of of fall camp now Steve Sarkeesian said hey we're just rotating guys we're just giving them both opportunities here to work with different situations scenarios uh, make it a level playing field for this competition, but. If you're the guy getting the ones getting the reps with the ones going into the all important second scrimmage and we're recording on Wednesday heading into this open practice, you and I will both be there with our binoculars and notes, but that's a, it's a change that you have to take note of. And I'm told that Casey Thompson has thrown more interceptions in this fall camp than Hudson card, who has been sacked more. Um, Than Casey Thompson in this fall camp. So if you're looking at those those variables, you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, I'd rather take a sack than an interception, can't turn the ball over, live to punt. So this quarterback battle has taken an interesting turn, Taylor
1: it definitely has chip and one thing i think it is important to acknowledge though when we're talking about taking sacks for a quarterback in practice is quarterbacks rarely if ever get taken to the ground so the whistle is blown you know um very And they're getting early. touched right yeah exactly and so you, it it you, when i look at this i look at interceptions at this point are far worse than taking a sack because a sack could lead to a scramble that gets a you know a quarterback out of a tight situation or, you know, away from being sacked where they can scramble and throw the ball away or whatever it may need to be. But, um, you know, this is this is very interesting timing, in my opinion, Chip, that this has turned because, you know, we were allowed to be out at practice on Tuesday. And when, you know, the, the few open windows that we have had, Um, they're brief windows. So it's, it's definitely difficult to take everything for what you see at those windows, but we've always seen a rotation with the ones. And, um, between Casey Thompson and Hudson card on Tuesday, there was no rotation. Casey Thompson was fully with the twos. Hudson card was fully with the ones. Um, Hudson card led every position drill that we saw was the first quarterback out there. So, um, I think that is something to take note of at this point. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that Hudson Card's going to be the starting quarterback game one or anything like that, but this was the first instance where we were able to watch practice and see, okay, there was no rotation this time. This was fully the ones were Casey, or excuse me, Hudson Card. The twos were Casey Thompson. That can change, you know, if a if a good scrimmage, I think this Saturday, and, and you know, I want your input on this chip, If if there's a good scrimmage, on Saturday from Casey Thompson, this may flip. And this may actually probably present a bigger challenge, honestly, to um, Steve Sarkeesian, because at this point, I think it's fair to at least say that Hudson Card is the only quarterback that has only been getting reps with the ones. And we can't really say that about Casey Thompson from the windows that we did see. So I feel like that in itself is now a key storyline going into the scrimmage this weekend and something that I'm not really sure many of us were expecting to see at this point in fall camp.
0: Right. I mean, it's um, and Steve Sarkeesian said he doesn't have a timeline to name a starter. Um, He brought up an interesting analogy. He brought up recruits who make a, a date to announce their commitment, then get to that date and they're still unsure and they might make a rash decision. He said, I'm not going to do that. And he, he said, I'll, you know, he said, a gut feel is when it feels right. And mm-hmm. he's not there yet. So he did say that midweek next week, uh, and again, we're on Wednesday here going into the second scrimmage of fall camp, they'll begin game planning for Louisiana. Now, you would ideally like to have your starting quarterback at that point so that the starting quarterback's getting all the reps in the game plan for the season opener, especially two quarterbacks who've never started a college game before. And and so it is, it's it's fascinating. And I'm writing a column about how important this decision is going to be for Steve Sarkeesian, um, a guy who's Made really good decisions at the quarterback position in the past. Uh, Last year, Mac Jones getting the nod over, um, you know, Bryce Young, the five star quarterback at Alabama. And Mac Jones goes on to be a Heisman finalist, leads his team to the national championship. We've talked about him picking Matt Leinert over Matt Castle at USC. Uh, In 2003, Matt Leinert won two national championships, won the Heisman before getting beaten by Vince Young and the Longhorns in 05. Uh, but Matt Castle, the guy who didn't win the job, ended up being drafted Any, anyway. He never started a college game at USC, got drafted, went on to a double-digit year career in the NFL. So, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, and, and Steve Sarkeesian said, I'm proud of Matt Castle's development, and he's going to have to sell that to whoever doesn't win this quarterback competition at Texas, unless we hear from Steve Sarkeesian that it's too close to call and he's going to play both. Now he has not said that at this point. And so um, he of course has that option. It's not ideal. He doesn't prefer that he's a former quarterback. You don't want guys yo-yoing in and out of a game because they don't get rhythm. They don't, the teammates don't get rhythm with that quarterback. You're not developing chemistry critical chemistry between the quarterback and the offensive lineman running all of it. It's just, it just complicates things. So, um, the good news Taylor is that the defense, the defensive line specifically looks like it's, it's pretty formidable. I mean, you, you've got Ray Thornton and Ben Davis, Ray Thornton who won a national championship at LSU, Ben Davis who won a national championship at Alabama didn't play uh, a lot, but, has been in the in those cultures. You've written about this. They appear to be in Ovia Gofu from Notre Dame, who was in the uh, semifinals of the college football playoff. That these guys have come in and have been able to help fill the void of Joseph Osai, and then you have the development of Moro Jomo, who's continued to to line up next to Keandre Coburn with the ones at defensive tackle, and behind. Those two, you've got Alfred Collins, Tavondre Sweat, um, you know, Vernon Broughton. You're you're three deep at one of the most difficult positions uh in college football to recruit. And it appears that Bo Davis, Pete Kwiatkowski, and this defensive staff are elevating uh the the play uh in that defensive front. And so, and, and we've talked about this, you can get by with some unknowns at linebacker or inexperience at linebacker, not, you don't want guys just completely out of position, but if you have a monstrous defensive front, it makes the linebackers job a lot easier. And so that part of this football team appears to be a big plus and the secondary is benefiting from it. Brendan schooler has had uh, interceptions this fall camp. Um, You know, you're, Deshaun Jameson is always around the ball. Josh Thompson's been in and out of fall camp with a um, hamstring, but Keaton Crawford, I mentioned, had the interception to start off the scrimmage last week. So the defense appears to be elevating while the offense took a, a step back, maybe by design by the coaches to be able to really come in hard on them this week, getting ready for that second scrimmage. But it's, um, I think we can take a plus on this defense.
1: I think so too. And Steve Sarkeesian to, you know, give him the credit here after the scrimmage, we talked to him and he said that it's not really at this point in fall camp unusual for a defense to win a scrimmage. Um, And he said that he wasn't going to hold back. He wanted to put the quarterbacks in difficult situations. And um, he wanted to see how each guy responded to the adversity. Now he followed that up by saying, you know, he was not he didn't think either Hudson Card or T- Casey Thompson played up to the standard that he believes is acceptable and that he thinks that the players themselves believe is acceptable as well. But, you know, I think that it's always a, at least a positive. It's not you know, we he didn't come out of the scrimmage sitting there and bashing both sides of the ball there have been a few times where we have heard coaches coming out of scrimmages, not, not necessarily bashing both sides, but not having the most glowing remarks about either side of the ball. And so I do think you know, the addition of that veteran, you know, the veterans, the leaders, or the, uh, excuse me, the transfers that came in who took over substantial leadership roles throughout summer. You know, I think that it's it's definitely a positive development to hear that that leadership is translating on the field in their play as well. Um, I, I, you have to also look at the the kind of unit that Bo Davis took over. Obviously, there people were questioning who was going to take over for Joseph Osai. That was handled in the transfer portal. And now Texas has a veteran defensive front that, you know, they've kind of lacked a little bit in the last few years. There have been a, you know, when Texas defense in the last few years has been really solid, they've had veteran leadership and veteran guys in the trenches um, on defense. And I think that you know, hearing that the continued um, development of Moro Jomo, the continued progress of Moro Jomo, which we all saw for our, with our own eyes, you know, in that spring game, he had a monster game and kind of came out of nowhere. He was kind of the under the radar player in spring that even we all admit, like we weren't talking him up, I think enough, you know, um, in spring. And then we see him in the spring game. That sounds like, you know, from everything that we've hearing it's continued and this could be, Something that will definitely help the Texas offense if there is any question marks, in my opinion, Chip, at quarterback. You know, um, I mean, obviously, the best defense is one that's not on the field. We all know that. That's the, you know, the football kind of like hyperbole, but it's true. And the best defense is one that's on the sidelines, you know, when they don't have to defend something. But it also, if there is question marks on the other side of the ball, it's good to have that type of defense that is not just, you know, the the first stringers are Stout enough to uh, get off the field quickly, but that there's enough depth to where if the defense does need to be on the field, you know, uh, in a hypothetical situation, if the offense struggles early on, that there's enough depth to rotate in. And that's something I think Texas hasn't had necessarily consistently in the past, but it sounds like that is the case from the defensive front right now.
0: Yeah. And they've, the roles have changed for each of these players. I mean, Moro Jomo talked about it, how he's, Bounced from nose tackle as a redshirt freshman to defensive end to now three technique. And it's all come together for him. He's been able to take a little bit from each experience and and put it all together as the three technique lining up next to Keandre Coburn. And they will line up in some three-man front too, where where Moro Jomo is a is a four-eye and mm-hmm. And he's comfortable with that because he's played uh, in similar schemes under previous coaches. So, um, you know, kudos. And I think you're right, Moro Jomo. He's explosive. He's compact. He's strong, and he's smart. And so, I think that's why he's been able to hold off a guy like Alfred Collins, who has all the physical abilities in the that you could ever imagine, um, and maybe he needs to widen out and rush the passer from the seven technique or the nine technique. We'll see what Pete Kwiatkowski has in store because I know they want to get their most talented players on the field. Can't wait to see what that means uh, against Louisiana on September 4th, or even in practice tonight, you know, (laughs) because we're going to get to see a whole practice, but it's, it is, it's a big deal when you are, super solid on the defensive line, you have a chance. You have a chance to win every game. You have a chance to turn other teams over um, because of the pressure that you're getting. And so uh, there's no doubt that these guys have been a problem, even for the first team offensive line in practice. Now, at this point in camp, everybody knows what everybody's doing. They've gone up against each other so many times that the, the defense now knows what the offense is trying to do, what keys, what things to read and all of that. And that's that's part of life. I mean, starting midweek next week, you're going to have a scout team defense wearing the other team's jerseys lining up and running what Louisiana runs and it will be new. But as of right now, it's. Keandre Coburn lining up across from Jake Majors and Junior Angelau and Denzel Ogafor. And they know each other's tells and and all that. So it's it's with a little bit of context that you have to look at the the offense, the offensive struggles. The thing that concerns me the most, Taylor, is the turnovers. And you know, here's Casey Thompson, a guy who's completed 60, he's played seven games at Texas, 69% completion rate, six touchdowns, no picks. And he played like a gamer in the Alamo Bowl. But it's a new offense. He and Hudson Card both had to learn it from scratch. Uh, any advantage that Casey had uh, for running an existing offense longer than Hudson Card went out the window when Steve Sarkeesian came in. And you don't want to see turnovers not not in scrimmages and you you almost wonder with Casey throwing that pick six in the spring game and then having to hear about it all summer if it's kind of gotten into his head a little bit if so they got to etch a sketch that out of there and he's got to continue to build and and grow or if you know if he's stuck then he's not going to be on the field so it's uh you know that's the that's the concern you have is that uh-oh is one of these quarterbacks who has been playing at a high level has played at a high level in games suddenly having some second guessing going on in the pocket am i am i seeing what i'm really seeing am i am i not seeing and whoops what did i just do interception that can't happen and Steve Sarkeesian knows uh, better than anyone having been a quarterback so um, I mean, there's a lot and a lot of tentacles to this, obviously, depending on who Sarkeesian picks. And we'll probably get into that uh in next week's podcast. We'll take it one step at a time here. But um, that's what we're that's what we're looking at.
1: Yeah. And you know, Chip, I think that we have to also put Casey Thompson's performances in context because I think that there has been a little bit of um almost like a readiness or eagerness to point out like, you know, his stat line. But the reality is he came in in games a lot of times in garbage time situations, um, you know, and the Alamo Bowl obviously was a really impressive performance. But we also have to acknowledge that Colorado was not, you know, expecting Casey Thompson to take the field. They were game planning all along for Sam Ellinger to play that whole game. Colorado wasn't even supposed to be in the Alamo Bowl. It should have been USC. USC opted out of playing in a bowl game. That's how Colorado got into that. So a part of me does think that, well, you know, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm like knocking Casey at all because his performance against Colorado in the Alamo Bowl was super impressive. And I, and, you know, I, I had a lot of questions about him going into that game Um, And when people were calling for Sam Ellinger to be benched for Casey Thompson, you know, I kept going back to him as a recruit. And I was, you know, I had no problem eating crow saying Casey fully surpassed my expectations in that performance against Colorado. But on the flip side, I also don't know if it's necessarily fair to him. And if people are, you know, starting to question him as a quarterback, because I think that that stat line is a little bit not Necessarily the full picture because you have to put it a little bit into context. But regardless, I mean, you can't. The biggest thing with quarterbacks, you can't have interceptions. You can't have those type of turnovers. And if he's the one that is continuing to do that, then this, you know, I, I know that Steve Sarkisian kind of has to walk a little bit of a tightrope and a fine line with how he handles this and how he, you know, names a starter because he definitely does not want to lose. Say Casey Thompson to the transfer portal when he has two years of eligibility left right now, and he could probably start at a different program. You know he has to walk that fine line, but at the same time, there has to be some sort of reality check. I think for Casey Thompson, where it's like, dude, you had all of the advantage going into this, and while sure it's a clean you know slate with a new coaching staff, you can't be a redshirt junior and the one that is constantly throwing interceptions against the redshirt freshman because. In football, more times than not, and I know this may not be the case this year, but more times than not, if there's a younger player that is outperforming a veteran, most coaches will go with the younger player because they see a higher ceiling. And so, you know, I think no doubt about it, the second scrimmage is going to be key. And I, a part of me thinks if Casey Thompson continues to throw interceptions in the second scrimmage, he's throwing away his opportunity as a starter, in my opinion. And you may have a different opinion. I don't know, but that's kind of how I feel, you know, leading into scrimmage number two.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, going into this and we've talked about this on the flagship podcast here that in the safe, the safe move for Steve Sarkeesian if Casey Thompson was performing at a high level, if they were both performing at a high level, all things equal, is to go with Casey Thompson because he's been in the, he, you know, he's played, he's got some game experience. He's the older guy, maybe a little more vocal, maybe a little better second reaction quarterback at also this point been
1: in the transfer portal. That's the other thing you, you know, yeah. to protect him. Yeah.
0: But I mean, under a different coaching staff, different time and, and he's been all, you know, guns blazing for Steve Sarkeesian called him up. what did he say? Called him up the day he got hired. Yeah. And, and so, you know, but the bottom line is that's the safe call. But if, as you mentioned, if Casey Thompson's the guy throwing interceptions to lead off a scrimmage and, and you go back to the pick six in the spring game, it comes at the end of what would have been his best drive in the spring game. And he wasn't as effective in the second half. Hudson card was better in the second half ended up, you know, his team winning. Uh, He played with the number twos on offense and had the number one defense um, as part of his white team. Casey had the number one offense and the number two defense in the spring game. But that's my concern is, is Casey starting to see some ghosts here. I mean, he said that he, it took him three weeks to get over the pick six, Uh, And I think he was trying to be funny a little bit, but you know, you got to shake that stuff off and, and I'll say this, we'll get to Sam Ellinger here who had a great uh, preseason game with the Colts. Sam had some egregious mistakes his freshman year. I wasn't sure he'd be able to overcome them. They were pick sixes and interceptions and overtime against Oklahoma state. And you're like, uh Oh, right. And you're just in Maryland. He had two chances in the final five minutes to beat Maryland after all those mistakes his freshman year and couldn't close the deal. Um, Tom Herman deserves credit for sticking with him, coaching him up and Sam ended up having a great 2018 season. This is where Steve Sarkeesian is going to earn all his $5.2 million because he's the quarterback guy. He's the offensive minded guy. Lincoln Riley plugs a quarterback in. And with the exception of Spencer Rattler getting benched briefly in the Red River shootout last year, he's been all systems go with whoever he plugs in at quarterback and they win the big 12 and, and life goes on. Right. And they brought Steve Sarkeesian in to elevate this offense, elevate the quarterback play. And so huge week this week, and we will keep you posted on all of it over at horns 24 seven. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, well, Taylor, before we
1: one thing I wanted to kind of also talk about Chip was the wide receivers. You know, um, before we get to love it or leave it, I think that this is a group that we have to kind of address right now. Coming out of that first scrimmage, I want your take personally on if this is as big of a concern as it is kind of shaping up to be in your opinion.
0: It is to me. It is a big concern because you've you've had um you know, Josh Moore, who's I've been told consistently is among the top three receivers on the team with Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy. Let me repeat that. Jordan Whittington, Josh Moore, Xavier Worthy, top three receivers.
1: So essentially three slot receivers is what we're looking at. Right. And Steve Sarkees,
0: you know, move them around. He'll, he'll get them to line up wherever he needs them to line up. But then Josh Moore goes down with the shoulder injury, and this is the same injury he had last year. And you're going, uh oh, is this going to be a problem all year? Um, he goes out, and that, and that, and you're like, okay, well, Calvante Dixon's been having a good camp. Here's, here he comes, and then high ankle sprain for Calvante Dixon. It's like, oh, good heavens. And Troy O'Meary's still trying to figure some things out. He has not been as consistent. Xavier Worthy had some drops in the first scrimmage. Um, he's caught the ball well too, but you, you know, you keep an eye on the drops. Is he a natural pass catcher? Is he comfortable? Is he, are those passes over the middle? Um, Is he catching balls differently down the sideline than he is over the middle? You have to look at all that. The coaches look at all that, but the problem Taylor for me is Marcus Washington, Alvante Woodard, the guys who should be elevating and taking their game to a new level with new hunger, determination, opportunity, it's not happening, I think, as as fast or as quickly or as effectively as as most everyone had hoped. So they have got to turn it on. They've got to elevate because, um, you know, uh, Keith Ron Lee's in the transfer portal. I was never crazy excited about him, honestly. I wasn't crazy excited about Jaden Alexis uh, as a recruit either. But you, you've got to you got to have guys developing. You got to have guys improving. You got to have guys challenging. And that's, that's a big concern for me right now because Jordan Whittington, we haven't seen a full body of work from Xavier worthy freshman, Josh Moore led the team in receptions last year, but he only had 37. I mean, it wasn't like he was catching 80 balls and going for a thousand yards. So this is, is a big concern for me, Taylor, the tight ends ended up catching most of the passes in the first scrimmage, I heard Cade Brewer had four, Jared Wiley had three, Gunnar Helm had a couple, Juan Davis had a couple, everyone but Jatavian Sanders, believe it or not. But it's, it, and if that's what they're going to be, a running team in a check down passing game, okay, if, you've, if your defense is that good, you're going to win some low scoring games, 28, 17, whatever, as long as you're winning.
1: Right. Yeah, because I think, so yesterday, Eric Tuesday, excuse me, at practice, you're right, I mean, the second string was Alvante Warder, Troy O'Meary, and then Kai Money, and I know that Texas fans almost get up in arms when they hear Kai Money, but he was one of the few players that I saw catch a pass in 11-on-11 from Casey Thompson on Tuesday, Um, but, you know, I kind of do understand why Texas fans will be a little bit upset that a former walk-on that turned, you know, into a scholarship player is a guy who is one that I can remember catching a pass on the second string offense. Um, especially when you look at the receivers that Texas has recruited over the, num- over the last, you know, three years. I mean, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, the last yeah, Xavier worthy being added to the 2021 signing class was huge in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. just, yeah, I mean that, that was probably, between that, Ray Thornton slash Ben Davis would be like one A, B, and C, in my opinion, of the best late additions to that twenty twenty one signing class that Steve Sarkeesian was able to add, you know, after he took over as head coach. But you look back at the the players that Texas has recruited at wide receiver, there's some dudes out there. I mean, these aren't some, you know, three stars that they only were getting every year and you have to, you know, be a the yeah, Art Bryles type of guy that finds the diamond in the rough because you can't get these receivers to Texas. No, that wasn't the case. I mean, they're, they've, they've recruited some very high level recruits at wide receiver and they're not getting developed. And I think, you know, with the wide receiver position being a question considering the amount of talent at that position, I mean, I've, we've been in this industry for years, especially covering, you know, um, from a recruiting side and from, you know, recruiting sites. And it's really rare for the type of, you know, high four-star, five-star type of guys to be quote-unquote overrated. They usually are rated exactly to their level of talent that they have. And that's why they are rated as high as they are. So this, this, at this point of fall camp, Chip, with us talking about the wide receiver position being a little bit of an issue with the amount of talent they've been able to recruit over the last three years, I think this puts a ton of pressure on Andre Coleman because he's got to have that unit, especially with a you know first-time starter at quarterback. Obviously, having Bijan Robinson and a um, you know Keelan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, a stout backfield is going to absolutely help the offense, especially early on with a first-time starter at quarterback. But you need guys that are going to actually you know, catch the balls that aren't the perfect balls. Cause we can't expect that from a first time starter, especially early on. And so I think that, you know, Andre Coleman with him being one of the few retained, you know, coaches from um, Tom Herman's staff and being kind of the quote unquote last resort receivers coach that Tom Herman added um, from being, you know, an analyst in 28 or 2019, excuse me, then having him you know, hire him on as the receivers coach after Herman missed on a couple of, um, his quote unquote, like top candidates there. This is a huge few weeks for Andre Coleman's future at Texas, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree. You're, I mean, the sign of a well-coached team is week to week improvement. That means from spring to summer, summer to fall camp. And where are the uh, players in terms of their development, um, and that's that's a big one. I mean, obviously the running backs are exciting, and uh, you know Bijan Robinson, Keelan Robinson, even Jonathan Brooks, who was a real bright spot in that scrimmage on Saturday. I mean, he he got a lot of buzz from the sources I spoke to. Said he has patience and that one cut ability kind of reminds some people of. A young priest Holmes, who you know was an unbelievable yet injured player at Texas, went on to lead the NFL in rushing um, as an undrafted free agent. So it's it's going to be fun to see how Sark works with those running backs and incorporates them into the passing game. But for the RPO offense and the play action offense to work the way Steve Sarkisian wants it, he needs speed on the outside. He needs Electricity separation on the inside and and everybody to understand what their role is in each of these, you know, RPO or play action concepts. We've we've heard from Steve Sarkeesian a lot. It's a concept heavy offense because there are option routes. And if you don't understand what you're looking at and you run the wrong option route, you've just screwed up the entire play. And that's where I think Troy O'Meary's gotten in some trouble. Because he's not he's not grasping the concepts as quickly as some of the others. And he's kind of cluttered up the, the process. And that's why he's on the second team now. So this stuff is, you, these guys have to be in their playbook. That's Andre Coleman's job. And, and we'll see how it plays out. It's still fall camp. It's, look, it's all, you know, fire and brimstone this week for the offense because of this scrimmage and Sarkeesian uh, getting after the offense, but, um, And it's
1: still early. It is still early in fall camp, you know, it I, is. And, a week yeah. is a
0: lifetime in fall camp. It, it is. it is,
1: Yeah. And, you know, but yeah, there's still time for the the team to grow on at all phases, in my opinion. And, you know, but I think this next scrimmage is, is so key.
0: And well, as Steve Sarkeesian pointed out, the scrimmage last Saturday was only their second day in full pads. Right. So it's, a week is a lifetime, especially at this point. And it's hot as blazes out there. Guys are tired. They're beat up. They're struggling to concentrate. Everyone wants camp to be over so they can get back to a normal routine of practicing uh, either way early in the morning or, you know, after their classes are done. Um, But uh, we will keep you posted over at horns 24, seven. And, uh, right here on the flagship podcast. Taylor, are you ready for some love it or leave it?
1: I am chip, uh, but before we get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a very short break, but you'll definitely want to stick around as football talk continues, including talk about the quarterback and the, you know, ongoing battle between Hudson card and Casey Thompson. We'll get into that plus much more in love it or leave it. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Chip, you ready for some love it or leave it? Let's go. I'm curious. So we haven't talked. I'm going to put this out there. We have not talked at all about love it or leave it beforehand. So I have no idea what you're going to say. You have no idea what I'm going to say. I mean, fall camp madness So let's see if we actually agree or not
0: madness, (laughs) madness,
1: madness going on here. All right, Chip, my first love it or leave it for you is the two interceptions Casey Thompson threw in last Saturday's scrimmage combined with Hudson card, getting most of the first team reps in practice Monday and Tuesday makes you think things are trending in cards direction. Love it or leave it.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm going to love this because I don't know how you look at it any other way. Uh, you know, everything is cause and effect. And if you're Casey Thompson, you're playing at a high level and that's all the word is coming out of, of fall camp. And yeah, you know, I don't I don't know that you make this move. I don't know that you have Hudson Card taking most all the reps with the first team if you feel like without a doubt Casey Thompson's been the better quarterback through the first week of fall camp i think you make this move when you say okay Casey you've gotten your opportunity there's some bad reads in there there's some poor decision making that we haven't seen from you through the first you know maybe in spring or or something we, we need to get a look at Hudson at, in these situations. And, and so I think you have to, I think it has to be a wake up call to Casey Thompson. I think it has to be, um, a you know, a message, a message of opportunity for Hudson card, a message of, okay, you got to clean things up for Casey Thompson. Um, so I'll love this, uh, Taylor. I don't think, the battle is over, but I think it's trending. That's what you asked me. Uh, I think it's trending towards card. How about you?
1: I agree. I'm going to love this, and I'm going to preface it with: I think at this point, it's trending that way. Again, as you said, I do not think it's over yet. I think you know if if Casey Thompson can flip a switch somewhere and really, you know, out basically not even necessarily perform, but like do things the right way in practice and scrimmage and everything, I wouldn't be surprised if he is the first quarterback to start. But at this point, you can't turn the ball over. That's the number one thing for a quarterback. You just can't, or for any team, not even just a quarterback, like any offensive player, you can't turn the ball over. But especially if you're the guy that touches the ball on every single snap, you cannot be the one that is causing turnovers. I mean, turnovers are the worst thing that is going to, impact uh, the momentum of an offense and the scoring ability of an offense. And, you know, unfortunately for Texas fans, they've seen it quite a few times um, in the last 10 years, how turnovers have been the deciding factor in outcome of games. So if Casey Thompson continues down that road, then yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely fair to say right at this point that it's trending towards Hudson card, but if that continues, it's trending towards Casey losing that starting role and Clearly the coaches had him as the one a guy going into spring because he lined up with the first team offense and then card lines up with the second team offense and, you know, uh, does like wins the spring game. And I know it's a spring game. You can't really win because you're going as yourself, but still that was something that was, you know, a little alarming, I think (laughs) to an extent, especially considering Casey Thompson was the only one that had an interception, And that was went for a pick six and that was an atrocious one. Let's be honest, like that, that pick six. I remember sitting next to you and Jeff and before Casey threw that ball, I was like, this is going back to the other, the other way. Because you saw Deshaun Jamison read Casey and it was so obvious what was about to happen. That type of stuff can't happen because, I mean, I know it's your own team, but still you have to be in charge of taking care of the football number one. And if Casey is not doing that, then this is not a coincidence that Hudson Card, in my opinion, is getting the first team reps. And honestly, from what we've seen, I'm not saying that this has only been the case, but in in instances where the media was allowed at practice, they were rotating, you know, between Casey and Hudson with the ones. And this was the first instance where Hudson was the only one getting reps with the ones. So. I have to love this, say it's trending in that way. I don't think it's decided at this point, um, but it's definitely something that Casey Thompson, you know, he needs that come to Jesus moment, honestly, for himself to realize that this could be slipping away from him if he continues to make these mental errors.
0: Yeah. All right. Love it or leave it. Numero dos.
1: All right. My second one for you is the defensive line has been considered a strength of the 2021 team since the spring but you think the defensive line could be among the best in the big 12, if not in the country, love it or leave it.
0: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to buy into the Moro Ajomo stock um, because I had a source tell me that Moro reminds them of Sam Acho in, in the way that Sam just did everything right. Technically recognized the assignments was able to call them out. Um, even Keandre Coburn said that Moro Jomo will make a call every once in a while. And Keandre, will be like, Oh, look at, look at, look at my man over here. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to, and and when you're telling me Alfred Collins is, is coming off the bench, the guy who, you know, I, I think you could put it defensive end and this guy would be throwing people around. Um, but he's, He's learning to play inside. He's, I'm fascinated to see if they will also line him up as a defensive end, as a seven technique or a nine technique, and just see what the big fella can do um, in certain situations. Because those are weapons that you can deploy uh, depending on the opponent. Like if you see a backup offensive tackle in there, hey, let me introduce you to Alfred Collins for a few hours. So I I'm fascinated because I do think that Pete Kwiatkowski and what we've heard from the players is the guy's a master X's and O's guy. He will change things up week to week, depending on the opponent. He thinks things out way in advance. So he'll prepare guys now for something he wants to do against TCU or, or something like that. So uh, I'm fascinated to, to see how that goes, but yeah, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy that stock. Taylor, how about you?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's it would be a little difficult for me to say in the country at this point, just because, I mean, you look at those like Alabama defensive lines and the Clemson defensive lines, and you're like, good God, like that is just something. Right, they all
0: have a dominant (laughs) pass rusher, and Texas does. You know, we'll see if they have if Jacoby Jones or Ray Thornton or Ovia Gopher Ben Davis. But you're right, they don't have that guy. You can just say. This guy's 16 sacks this season.
1: Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm kind of to be determined on if it's one of the best in the country, but I think it definitely has a chance to be one of the best in the big 12. And I do think that experience plays a key, a huge role in that. I mean, honestly, um, look back at some of the best defensive fronts that Texas has had in the last seven years. How many times were they all true freshmen or freshmen lining up? Right. Right or sophomores even at that point, very like never, honestly, never. So I think that the veteran experience that they do have on the defensive front and having guys like Amoro Ajomo, who, mind you, he is entering his fourth year at Texas, yet he only just turned 20 earlier in the week. So he was already kind of a young player coming in. The light bulb is coming on for him. He's a physical specimen. He knows the entire, you know, pretty much every position on the defensive line. Those are the key points that I think that this could be one of the best defensive lines in the Big 12 for sure, and probably one of the, you know, top, you know, front fronts I'd say in the country but I won't say that they will be the best you know I think that's where I think. but I think overall I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna agree with you I'm gonna buy into the stock of this defensive front that Texas has they're gonna need to have that type of you know I guess edge rusher or somebody that is going to get the quarterback to the ground. Cause that has been a bit of a concern for Texas over the last several years, you know, QB hurries are great and all, but you want to get that if you touch them, get them to the ground. And, um, you know, that would always drive me nuts when Tom Herman would say, Oh, well, ours is actually better when it's like, no, you're not like the quarterbacks, just cause you touch them. Doesn't mean that that's a sack. Like this isn't the spring game, you know, <laughs> or practice. Right. So Yeah. I mean, getting the quarterbacks to the ground is going to be key for this uh, Texas defensive front. But there's no doubt that this is very quickly turning into probably one of the strongest points on or positions, in my opinion, on this team. So I'm going to have to love that.
0: Yeah, they have great chemistry. And as you said, it takes a while. I mean, Will Muschamp always said the closer you are to the ball, the harder it is to play as a young player. And when you're talking about Keandre Coburn, Coburn senior Moro Jomo in his fourth season, uh, there's a reason that Moro Jomo has stayed ahead of Alfred Collins and Bo Davis is a, is an excellent line coach and both Pete Kwiatkowski and Jeff Choate, the defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator have been defensive line coaches. So they understand how this is all supposed to fit together. And so, um, I'm really intrigued to see because I've heard so much about Pete Kwiatkowski from NFL. I've written about this uh, in, you know, in the insider and in the morning brew uh, Talked to people with the Cowboys who, who drafted Demarcus Lawrence from Boise state when Pete Kwiatkowski was there um, and on and on. And they're just so impressed with how well coached his players are, how prepared they are for the NFL. Um, and the, the Cowboys have continued to, to mine that Boise state um, uh, talent with uh, Leighton Van Der Esch and on and on. So um, good stuff there, Taylor. How about uh, love it or leave it? Number three.
1: Well, Chip, I have to say this before I get to number three real quick. I almost feel like we need to call Pete Kwiatkowski and Jeff Choate fire and ice, because if you've heard the players talk about these two, the, you know, Keandra Coburn at big 12 media days was like, you know, he, Pete Krakowski was so quiet that he's like, oh, this isn't going to work. And then he is just an amazing defensive mind to where all of the players are learning so much. And you haven't heard a single, you know, even something that a player may say that would make you question if this is, you know, what they're taught to say to the media or not. It's just they're all bought into him. But then if you hear Jeff Choate at practice, and if you go out, if Texas fans go out to the open practice um, on Wednesday, you will hear him. If you hear this raspy, screaming voice, that is Jeff Choate. So (laughs) there's like the chill Pete Kukowski that has the brains in there. So that's like the ice and the fire that Jeff Choate, I think, brings to it. The two of them combined is like, I think, a genius move, but I think I kind of want to start doing that as fire and ice, uh, from the defensive coordinators at Texas right now, Chip.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff Cho <laughs> kind of has some red in his hair. So he's kind of got that, you know, that fireball thing going. So yeah, yeah. I like it.
1: I like <laughs> All it. Right. All right. Sorry. Random, random there thought, but random uh... <laughs>
0: personality,
1: <laughs> little, uh,
0: Hollywood extra moment there.
1: There you go. Yeah. All right. My final one for you, Chip is Love it or leave it. Your biggest concern heading into the second scrimmage of fall camp is still the lack of consistency from the receivers.
0: Um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to love this as part of a bigger, uh, concern. And that is, and I'm not going to give Casey Thompson an out for the interceptions and the, in the first scrimmage, cause I heard the, the, that first interception he threw, he, he had Cade Brewer wide open underneath and went for something bigger and got picked off. Um, there are receivers available. They just happen to be tight ends or running backs. So uh, I guess I'll say I'll leave it and say that my bigger concern is everything getting time on the field together offensively and establishing momentum at the quarterback position. Because if you don't have that, the whole offense starts to get edgy. And I, I've said the players always know if, if they feel like they're not seeing progress at the quarterback position from Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, because I've heard practices haven't been as glowing offensively the last two days as Steve Sarkeesian has made them out to be then then the, that, offense, that offensive side of the ball starts to lose confidence. And that cannot happen. That can't happen. So, um, you know, at some point, the, the, the coaches have to start putting the quarterbacks in a better position, whether it's max protection in a scrimmage in fall camp or whatever, so that these guys are building confidence and the rest of the offense is building confidence in them. It's great to put your quarterbacks in difficult situations, stress them out. It's that time in camp where you can you know really rile them up and put them in difficult scenarios. But at some point, you got to call plays to where they can have some success so that the guys around them are catching footballs and executing plays that you want executed against Louisiana, Arkansas, tech, TCU, rice, whatever. So I know that's a temporary thing because that can be fixed in a day, but I'm just hearing, you know, too much of, ah, you know, the receivers aren't there, but you know, the quarterbacks are getting pressure. They don't have any time to throw the running backs. We're not really hitting them, you know, every day in practice, whatever. And, and the the blocking isn't great from the receivers i'm hearing you know kai money is the the name that comes up as the guy who's at least trying to block or is blocking the right way so i'd say i have bigger concerns than just the receivers on offense my concern my biggest concern is continuity and just fluidity on offense and uh and i'll 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 leave it at that. Taylor, how about you?
1: Gosh, I kind of hate agreeing with you on all three, but that's exactly what I was thinking too. I mean, it's not necessarily just the receivers that are the question right now, you know, hearing a coach who played quarterback and was a quarterback's coach of, you know, Heisman winners and Heisman finalists like Steve Sarkeesian was, it is alarming to hear that he didn't think either quarterback played up to the standard in the first scrimmage. That's that sets off red flags a little bit. And so that in- Yeah, it wasn't like
0: Hudson Card was great and Casey was awful. They were exactly. both getting flushed and sacked and blah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's exactly the thing, is like this is you know, I know that they they kind of treat quarterbacks a lot of times with kid gloves because they have to. You know, they don't want them getting tackled to the ground often or ever, honestly. Um, but, you know, that that was a huge alarming situation to me when I heard him say that. And I appreciate Steve Sarkeesian being so open and candid about it, honestly, because um, it, it was a rarity, I think, to hear – that type of criticism on the quarterback position um, when there is a quarterback battle. And I feel like it's been not always the case that we've heard, whether it was Mac Brown, Charlie strong, Tom Herman, or whoever it may be, you know, they rarely were as critical on the quarterbacks. And so to me, I took away from that. I appreciated Steve Sarkeesian being that open, but I took away that this is a bigger deal because as you mentioned, it impacts the flow of the entire game if the quarterbacks can't get their stuff together there's not going to be an opportunity for receivers to really step up I mean and then you turn into a situation in like in 2016 where everyone knows you're going to run the ball and thankfully you have a really capable running back who can do it but still that can't be the only offense that you have so I think that I'm, I would want to leave this more so that I think that not saying the quarterback position is my biggest concern, but agree with you in saying that the overall consistency of the offense, starting with the quarterback is something to, you know, is a little bit alarming after um, the first scrimmage that can obviously be cleaned up. But Chip, you know, when you, you brought up, you said something and I wanted to go back to this, you said. You know, the the offensive play has not been as glowing as what Steve Sarkeesian has said over the last two days. And there were a number of offensive players, whether it was on offense or even like kick returns that we watched on Tuesday that were getting their Pardon my French, but their ass is ripped, like, honestly, and for, you know, mistakes. I mean, Troy O'Meary got ripped by Steve Sarkeesian because he was he like slowed down on the route and was adjusting his glove. And he's like, stop there. Don't slow down, like yelling at him. Jordan winning got called out because he called a fair catch on the kick return coverage type of situation. Um, I mean, there were a number Keelan Robinson got called out a few times because he had dropped passes when they were like getting thrown from the quarterbacks. It hasn't from what I've seen. I mean, this is a very limited window mind you. So I want to preface that it was very, very limited, but the issues that were being called out to the point where coaches were ripping players were not on defense. They were on offense. And so if that, starts and ends with the quarterback play. That should be the biggest concern in my opinion at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it look Sark knows as a guy who's coached great quarterbacks and great offenses, when to drill down and go hard and, and make a point and push them to the brink. And then when to, to let up, you always want camp to be harder than what they're going to see in a, in a game. When you right. have one game plan, everybody's moving in the same direction or should be. But again, you want that continuity so that by the time you get to game plan week, everybody's like, Oh, yeah, look at this game plan. You're you you got that role, you got that role. Everything's oh yeah, this is great. We're gonna we're gonna work this thing to the end and and have a lot of success. You you wanna be able to have enough guys who've established themselves to where that's what's being said in the locker room when they get the game plan. And I'm, I don't think we're there yet. Let's put it that yeah. way.
1: Yeah. All right. I agree. I definitely agree. I mean, actually, I have one more for you. We're going to go four this week. Just okay. this is a, a layup question. So, I almost don't want to say it because we're going to agree 4 for 4 I know for sure we are,
0: but here's Uh my
1: layup. Love it or leave it for you. Love it or leave it. You were ecstatic to see Sam Ellinger shine in the Colts' preseason victory over Carolina last week and think he has a chance to start for the Colts in Carson Wentz's injury absence.
0: Okay, Taylor. So I have been a broken record on this. Everyone knows I'm the president of the Nick Foles fan club. Yeah. The greatest Super Bowl MVP performance in Super Bowl history. Yes, I know he's third string in Chicago right now and can't get past Andy Dalton because Jeff Nagy is the worst coach in the history of man. But I said last year, the place you want to be is Indianapolis because they are built to win the Super Bowl. Now they just didn't have a quarterback, they went and got Phillip Rivers who had already announced he was going to be a high school coach the next year. I was like, fire Philip Rivers now and go get Nick Foles and put him back together with my man Frank Reich, who was his quarterback's coach in Philly when they won the Super Bowl. Didn't happen. They go get Carson Wentz, the damaged goods quarterback, who Foles left in his dust to win the Super Bowl. Wentz is broken. He's always broken. broken. This is a real opportunity for Sam Ellinger. I said that when he got drafted. I'm like, he's got to beat out Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason hasn't done anything. Jacob Eason hasn't had any wow moments. He certainly hasn't done anything on par with what my man Nick Foles did. Now, look, Sam made some mistakes in this preseason game we saw against Carolina that we saw last year. Held onto to the ball too long, a little indecisive, ended up running on third down. NFL players a lot faster. They got him, brought him down. He threw an interception that you were like, ah. but he made plays and he found guys and he won. You know, he led his team to 11 points, which is what we also saw from Sam Ellinger. So listen, I said, I'm never going to count this guy out. And he's got a real chance to make an NFL roster as a sixth round pick. He's in the right place, Taylor. I love this. How about yeah, you?
1: I love it too. I mean, I don't think that anybody is going to question this, but I, I have rooted for Sam Ellinger since he was, she's a junior in high school. You know, I've covered him. I used to cover recruiting. So I've covered Sam. I've known him for so many years. And there are a few guys that I have covered in my career that are ones that I'm like, I'm always going to root for them. And Sam Ellinger is absolutely the one that I'm always going to root for. For so many different reasons. I mean, he's such a great leader. He's always been the underdog. He's always been knocked for his athleticism. And it's always like, okay, but yet he can still put a team on his, a game on his back. And yeah, lead he's a team winner. To victory. Yeah, it's like, I don't care if he doesn't, he's not Kyler Murray. It doesn't mean he's not an athlete. Like, like in quarterbacks in the NFL, they don't have to be elite athletes to be a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, look at Tom Brady. Are we going to sit here and say that he's an elite athlete? No, he's not Kyler Murray. Yes. He's an elite athlete, but that is not a knock on Sam Ellinger because he is a winner and he has that chip on his shoulder because he's been an underdog. And, you know, I grew up in like with my dad, he was an underdog. You know, he was 5'9 until his like senior year of high school and then grew to like six, one, and everything clicked for him then. But he still always had that chip on his shoulder. And sometimes those type of players, you never, ever want to count them out because they're going to be the ones that have had not only you know, going to prove you wrong. They've had to prove people wrong throughout their career. And that's what Sam Ellinger is to me. I agree with you. I mean, Carson Wentz, I I, I do really like Carson Wentz. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a great role model for young football players, just from, you know, a lot of things he does off the field too. Um, You know, I've always respected him. My nephew Landon is an Eagles fan, or he was an Eagles fan because of Carson Wentz. And he's never really watched football. Now he you know, he loves Sam Ellinger too. So he's kind of like in a little bit of a quandary here, but <laughs> this, but like Carson Wentz is a good guy, but he is injury prone. He definitely is. He's, he's been that way for how many years now? Sam Ellinger has an opportunity that I think many people never would have given him credit for even being in this mix. And, you know, it just goes to show that sometimes this is why you look, listen to the people that cover players for, you know, high school through college before listening to NFL analysts. Cause I can't tell you how many NFL analysts have sat there and knocked Sam Ellinger's athleticism. It's like, okay, well, guess what? Like, first of all, you say that and you show highlights of him, you know, getting pummeled to the ground, but still getting four yards after contact, like, okay, but yes, he's not a good athlete. You know I mean? It's like, come on. Um, But yeah, I, I love this. I think that the debate debut was far from perfect, but he still led his team to a win in his debut, I'm really excited to see, you know, if he gets that starting job. Um, for I think it's, well, who are they playing? The Vikings this yeah. week, is that who it is? Yeah, and he's supposed to start. I'm very eager to see, you know, how he does in that as a potential starter. But there's no doubt he has the opportunity, and I and I love that even more for him. It's like you want to talk about an underdog. He's a six round freaking pick, and we're talking about him being the starter of an NFL, you know, organization in year one. Tell me the last time that's happened. Right. very often you know so right. yeah I love and he's pictures. got a chance
0: to develop under a guy like Frank Reich right love that his head coach is a is a former quarterback offensive-minded head coach who can develop guys and design plays the thing I love about Frank Reich he's the one who designed the RPO game plan for Nick Foles that Nick Foles did well Chicago I don't even know what they're running their plays are so bad so unless Nick Foles is acquired by the Colts here in the end of training camp, Sam Ellinger, baby, go get it. Oh, all right. Hey, four.
1: number four. Now is he four in there? (laughs) Yeah. He's
0: back to wearing his old Westlake uh, number and Jim Harbaugh's former number with the Indianapolis Colts. But um, yeah, that's no one, uh, no one needs to, Bother with that piece of trivia. Um, all right, for Taylor Estes of Horns twenty four seven, I am Chip Brown. Thanks everybody for listening to the flagship podcast. Make sure you're listening to all the podcasts on the Horns twenty four seven platform and checking out the Horns twenty four seven YouTube channel. I mean, just go and subscribe. And until next time. Stay safe and keep the faith.